Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. What's up? Zivikivi here. This is Season 8, Chapter 8, with Annie Banani. And I hope you enjoy it. Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas. See you at the other end of this episode. Take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now, welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. What's up? Zivi Kivi here, and I'm so excited today to share a podcast recording again with Annie Banani. Annie was actually recording uh, as a co-host a few episodes for the Kids Entertainer podcast. And I've been following Annie for many years and been in touch with, with her. And I was very impressed by her journey and the way that she took something and did it her own and did it all the way with balloon storytelling. She's known as the balloon storyteller. And I want to talk here on the show on all sorts of topics and try to understand what is balloon storytelling. How does that work? Hello, Annie. Well, hello, Zee. How are you? I'm great, and I have to say that you, although people are listening right now and they can't see you, I have the opportunity to see you because we're doing this through this software called Zoom. And I have to tell you that you look great, not just now, but lately you've been doing some really transformational changes in your life. Thank you. Yeah, it's been fantastic. And I've seen your pictures from all sorts of classes you've been giving. Seriously. This is really nice to see you so active. I remember you had an injury before and you managed to like recover fully. We'll talk about the, all the health transformation later. But first of all, I want to understand, Annie, what is balloon storytelling? How does it really look like? It's like a trunk of costumes, but instead of costumes made out of material, it, they're made out of balloons. So I tell people that I'm the narrator, the kids are my actors, and the costumes and props are made out of balloons. And it's a lot of fun. It's theater-type storytelling. So if I'm a storyteller, sometimes I have to explain that I'm not going to stand there and tell stories. You know, it's more like we are going to tell one together, and it's really super interactive. And so there's a lot of education involved of my clients. But once they understand what I'm doing the response has been really fantastic. And I have to ask, like, how did you get there? Because we all have our own journeys as balloon artists. What's yours? Well, I have a musical theater background, so that helps a lot. But that kind of is what made me lean in this direction. But I was doing, I was working a full-time job and doing musical theater on the side where it's all the community theater and local professional theater where they are a professional theater, but they give you $50 to say, you know, it's a stipend, they say. And so that way they can say that they're a professional theater. But it was it's just things that you really don't make any money at. And I was doing that almost full-time and uh, along with a full-time job and just killing myself, having a wonderful time. But then I started doing balloons and I thought, wait a minute, this is a wonderful time and I get paid for it. This is fantastic. And almost immediately, I realized the potential of it. And then I just built the business from there. And I had a lot of, at first, you just do a lot of things that don't work and that are maybe really, you 
chalk them up as learning experiences because you do learn from them, but then you realize, okay, so this is working better. And then I just started to, when I was uh, twisting, I would start thinking about instead of action figures, that's never been my thing. Well, if somebody wants a mermaid, why don't I make them into a mermaid? If they want to be a, they want to have a sword, I make them into a knight. And that just from there, it became, well, let's do a knighting ceremony or what would your mermaid eat? What would you do today if you were a mermaid? So it just got into that story-based thing, which is just kind of where I come from. And then it just built from there. And I'm not the first one to think of balloon storytelling. Absolutely not. But I took some courses at Twist and Shout from Larry Moss and from Jimmy Leo. And then I watched Alan Gouin, who is a genius. And I actually couldn't watch him anymore. After the show, I said, Alan, I loved your show. I can never watch you again because I don't want to copy you because I really, really loved it. I finally saw him again two or three years ago and reminded me again how much of a genius the man is. And I'm really glad I didn't watch him anymore because I really, really wanted to develop my own thing. And you sure did that. You've been creating school shows and library shows and, and balloon storytelling shows for many, many years. And you even wrote a book. What is that all about? I had been thinking about marketing myself as an author, but I really didn't have an idea of what to do. I tried first writing a balloon book, just, you know, how to twist balloons. And it was okay, but I, I don't think it was actually my best work. It was one of those things where this isn't available anymore kind of thing. And then one of the shows, the library shows, one of the themes was something about water. and. I ended up making a mad scientist story about Dr. Electrics trying to take over the world by controlling the world's electricity and then making a big storm. And that was actually the storm part was inspired by a children's theater I had seen literally like 30 years ago about how the audience helped create the storm. And so it became, it was first a library show and then it became my reading night show. And just If I really wanted to impress somebody, that's the one I would pull out of my pocket. And then I realized, wait, this is a book. And so I uh, wrote the book and based on the actual story, added a little bit more to it to make it a little bit more of a story than just one scene. And then I thought, okay, so let's see if I can make the illustrations balloons. So I did that. And I designed all the balloons except for Dr. Electric himself because I think it was just too big of a decision. And I asked Buster, hey, you got any ideas on this? And then 15 minutes later, he came back with a perfect sculpture that I fell in love with and I had to use. Then I got a friend of mine to do the background art and it took about a year to put it together. Then it finally came out in January of 2016. Now I market myself as a children's author. And sometimes... In school assemblies, that works great because it is an independent, you know, an indie published thing. It's not through a regular traditional publisher. So sometimes schools here in California kind of look down on stuff like that and the libraries, not the public libraries, but the school libraries. But then in other areas of the country, they realize how hard it is to indie publish and they just base it whether on whether it's a quality book and not if it comes from a traditional publisher. So. That's been a real advantage to me. So it's really fantastic to be able to 
market it that way. But sometimes I'll market my show as a reading assembly. And sometimes I will market it as an author visit, just depending on, I mean, the money comes from a different bucket. And if they've got a grant to have an author come, it's very much an author. I mean, it's the exact same show both times, but uh, maybe a little bit more of a, maybe selling the books for an author visit, things like that. But it's been really rewarding. Would they pay more for an author visit or less in comparison to the show as a show? Yeah, it's a really good question. It really just depends on what they want. So if they want an author visit where I have lunch with the kids and if they want something special, like we actually tell the story of the book. So if they want me to talk about the actual writing of the book with maybe some of the older kids or maybe middle schoolers or high schoolers, then that can be included too. So it really just depends on the school itself and what they're looking for. And also when I do an author visit, usually I'm able to sell my books, which can work out really well. And it's harder when you travel, as I found out, but there's a way to do it. And I ended up making probably two thirds, another two thirds on top on my last trip because they were just really into buying the book. The book, it's not a big moneymaker for me. It's really more about the fact that I wrote it. And that's actually the thing that gets me into the schools. And now I didn't just throw together a book. I've heard of people doing that where, hey, here's this, pretend you wrote it. And no, I don't think so. I wanted something that really, that I could genuinely be proud of. And I really am. But it is just a different way to market. Well, I think you definitely can be proud of your book. And I have a copy and it's, it's stunning. And it's funny. And it shows, it shows a lot of attention to details in the storytelling and in everything. I really love it. And I think that that is something that you're actually very skillful in because you also work with kids in a way that encourages them to write stories. Tell me about that. Yeah, I really love the idea of writing is just making stuff up. And I actually was going to name my show that and nobody took me seriously. <laughs> so, you know, none of the people who are booking me. So, you know, again, that's positioning. But when I talk to the kids in the show, and really anytime I talk to the kids, I tell them, writing is just making stuff up. We do that all the time. And don't get stuck on the mechanics of it because that will keep your creativity. It'll just clamp it down. Now, if you come up with a story when you're being creative that you love enough to do the work of editing the draft and making decisions about that and making it pretty and maybe doing illustrations. Now, that's awesome, but it's a lot easier to do that for a story that you totally love rather than just some random story. So the idea of anybody can do it. And kids get really stuck on the mechanics when they just forget that it's fun to make stuff up. So I've even had a library show completely based on that a couple of years ago where it's just, we're going to make up a story. And I didn't, I, I came with like maybe one pre-made balloon, but the rest of it was we'd write the story together the whole entire 45 minutes. Well, 35 minutes, because I still did the big balloon because everybody wants that, that giant balloon climbing thing. But the whole entire time was spent writing a story and then getting up and performing it with really, really quick props. And um, none of the props looked good at all. So I tried to bring something pre-made so at least it would be impressive. <laughs> but 
really, that was actually the one that fit the libraries the very most because the theme was so perfect. And that's actually part of my show that I bring to the schools where we tell the story once with the balloon storytelling style. And then after that, we make up our own story. And by the end of the assembly, we have a a story outline, original one that the kids and I wrote together. That's hard to explain to the people who book you because they think that everybody has to bring a pencil and a piece of paper. I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Don't worry about it. I got this. And once we do it and they see what we're coming up with, they really like it. But it does take a lot of explaining. After doing this quite a a while, do you have a situation where the stories are sometimes relatively close to one another because of your guidance? Or is it surprising you still? A little bit of both. I, on purpose, have the same kind of story when we write it because the quickest and most exciting story to write is a hero-villain with like a superhero and crazy supervillain. And also it's really fast to, and it amuses me, to my villain trying to take over the world using a food. And so like Professor Nacho Cheese is trying to take over the world with nacho cheese. Well, if he's going to do that, how would he do that? And that actually gets the kids excited. And it's some way that I can really, really connect with the kids because food is funny especially if you're trying to take over the world using food. But on the other hand, they come up with some amazing ideas that just really push me. And sometimes if I have a show where it's a family night and there's no specific, the time is a little bit less rigid than you have during the school day. Sometimes they come up with things that are like so complicated, I can't remember because they really come with, okay, we're going to make a solution to this problem, but it doesn't quite work. And then this happens and it gets bigger. And so sometimes I have to stop them and say, all right, I'm lost. (laughs) So the kids are just so much more creative than people give them credit for. And so that's probably the most fun part of the show for me. Well, that sounds like something that is, uh, you know, by using the, some sort of a template, like a villain and that is trying to take over the world in some way. That by itself kind of pulls your imagination into a certain direction so that you can create the balloons more efficiently and improve on the balloons on the spot in a way that will make it interesting. I think that just listening to kids sometimes come up with ideas is fascinating. The best gags happen when the kids start to talk and explain why something is happening. So I imagine even just asking them, you know, questions about their decisions would create mm-hmm. some amazing feedbacks. It does. If I'm in a small group, a lot of times I'll have one person really elaborate on their idea. If I'm in a big group, I want to be involving as many people as I can and also diverse. I want some of the older kids and some of the younger kids. I want everybody to feel involved. So I'll what I'll do is somebody will come up with an idea and then I will say, yes, we're using that. And then you bounce to the next person. And I don't let them elaborate on that because the next person will either take that particular idea farther or take it in a direction you don't expect. And uh, I really like that. The main reason I came up with the template is to be able to keep it during in the time limitations that I have. And that's probably the hardest thing for me is to manage my time during a show because so much of it is improv. And so 
that template came from necessity that I have to be able to look at the clock and say, all right, I'm 30 minutes into the show. This is where I should be right now. And if I'm not, then I need to skip something or make something faster or things like that. I have a really cool like workshop thing that's kind of like Mad Libs on steroids, but I can't do that during a 45 minute assembly period because it I can never finish. So give me an hour and a half. I'm going to have a really good time with those kids and we're all going to enjoy it, but not 45 minutes. And, and at a school, kind of the worst thing you can do to a school is to go over the time that you planned mm. because they have a bell schedule and they have a everything. I swear, I don't think I could be a teacher these days because at least here in the US, you have so many limitations and they have things like, we need this many minutes of language arts instruction. And then yeah. we need this many minutes of like, seriously, how do you even keep track of that? And yeah. I have a hard time keeping track of my day like that. And I'm just one person. I just don't, it's, it's tough. Yeah, I've heard uh, in the UK, they go to, through the same hurdles uh, of like really micromanaging every minute of the kids. And they've been testing them accordingly from age four and stuff, crazy stuff like this, which can be very demanding on the teacher and on the kid. Yeah. I have to ask you something. In the last summer, you've been performing quite a lot. You're doing all sorts of library shows. And did you also do the Climb Inside Balloon? Oh, every single show. So pretty often. Yeah. So all the time. And it's just become a natural thing for me. It's not hard anymore. But I have to ask you, is it different in this season to do the Climb Inside in comparison to, let's say, a year or so ago? when you weren't really the same person. Everything was more difficult. The funny thing was, because the injuries in my knee and my hip and then all my joints hurt, it was actually, by the time I got to the big balloon, it was great because I could stand in one place because it hurt more. My lower body hurt a lot more than my upper body. So to climb inside a balloon, if I can just stand in one place and do most of the work with my upper body, then it was way easier. But getting into the, like at the end when I needed to bring the balloon from my hips to and putting my feet inside, sometimes that was really difficult. And I had a couple of times when I thought, well, maybe I wasn't going to be able to keep my balance. And that's one of the wake-up calls that I had. Even after the hip surgery, I thought, before the hip surgery, I thought, if I had this hip surgery, this is going to be great and everything's going to be wonderful and I'm going to feel amazing. And that wasn't the case. You know, yeah, the hip stopped hurting, but everything else was still a problem. Well, I want to talk with you about this transformation that you did. And I don't know if the wake-up call was the hip surgery. I think there was more than that, that you really just made a decision that was very deep and meaningful. And you really walked the walk. So I want to talk about your transformation with health and because nowadays you don't only live a healthier lifestyle, but you also help many others live a healthier lifestyle. What can you tell me about that? About two years before, it was actually the, one of the reasons that I made the show that didn't have any prep that was for the, um, thankfully that summer, it was, the theme was something where it was creativity or something. And I was able to make the whole show about let's write a story. And that was good because I was barely keeping up. For the last couple of years, I had 
the thing about like, how am I going to survive the summer instead of how am I going to do the best show possible, which is how I feel now. And I had felt before, but I had been progressively gaining weight and things were progressively hurting. And I really wasn't sure what was going on at the time either, as far as with my knee and my hip. And um, so I was, I saw the problem in my show and I would make my show, I would figure out how to do it with the least amount of walking because that's what hurt the most. And I remember really making sure that I got a very close parking space, which is always important if you have gear to bring in. But anytime it was more than like 30 feet, I would just, it would seem like a mile. And loading in and loading out was the worst. And I saw the difference in my shows. And then I thought, you know what? I don't know if I can keep this up. I wonder if I can't fix this, if I can't like walk anymore, if I need to stop performing, which this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm kind of unemployable too, because once you run your own business, you just kind of become that way. So I was just dreading things like going back to some of the office work I did before. And am I even qualified to do it anymore? And how awful would that be? And mind numbing would it be? And it was just really depressing because I thought I really thought that I wasn't going to be able to work at all anymore. Or maybe I could just twist sitting down, which I did. I was able to do gigs sitting down, but then maybe I could figure out how to just do those kind of gigs. And I just, it was slowly taking everything I absolutely loved about performing and getting rid of the, my favorite parts. And, you know, library shows and school shows are my favorite things. Then I realized that it was the hip and there was a thing, something about the joint, the way I was born. So it was something that was always going to need to be fixed, but being overweight made it worse and made me have to fix it sooner. And so I finally just did get a hip replacement, which I was really young for a hip replacement. I was like 51 or something like that. So uh, Christopher T. Magician calls me hip replacement young. I just will never forget that. Crack me up. So I thought then everything was going to be fine. And I figured out a brace for the knee because it was from an old injury. And I thought, okay, now things are going to be great. And I still felt awful. So I realized that I had to do something and it was all weight related because I was just going to lose one joint at a time after that. And way sooner than 20 years sooner than I should. So I had tried every diet there ever was, and I was never successful with it, with anything. I never lost more than 10 or 15 pounds and never, ever kept it off and just consistently kept getting heavier. And if you're a performer that sits down all the time, it's possible to perform that way and still be funny. But I think as you get older and you've got that much stress on your joints, then it's really going to start to affect the way you perform, like it did for me and just for anybody. And so I was just about to go on a diet, but I was so depressed about it. And then I saw my friend, Suzanne Herring, and she had lost, I think she was 40 pounds towards her 50 pound weight loss goal. And she has ADD worse than I do. And she was totally successful on this. And she was able to do it while she's like the busiest performer I know. All right. I said, sign me up. And I made her be my coach because she was trying to give me to her coach. And I'm like, no, your coach is a muggle. And as wonderful a person as she is, she doesn't know our lifestyle. She doesn't understand what we do. And so Susie helped me through that. And I started on the busiest day of the year. And it was uh, 
maybe not the best day to start, <laughs> but I was determined. And then before I knew it, I had lost 50 pounds in like six months, maybe, maybe seven. I don't know. I've never actually figured out how long it took me. And then I got to my first goal. I was able to walk without pain. It was really fantastic. And then I stayed there for a while to prove to myself that I could keep it off because I had never kept weight off in my whole life. Then I decided, all right, here we go. I'm going to get, I started to look at what were my, were my performing goals. And I want to do things like mime and physical comedy and so many other things. And I just can't do them. I was still 40 pounds overweight at the time. So I just decided to keep going. And so now it's uh, 60 pounds lost and I'm building muscle. And I went to American Clown Academy and saw an amazing mime and an amazing eccentric performer trained by Avner. And I realized that's, I want to do, I want to add that to my shows. And so I'm even more, I look at people like Drew Ripley who is in the best shape of anybody I've ever seen and the things that he is able to do because he pays so much attention to his health. And I say, why didn't I do this 20 years ago? First of all, Annie, you really have to take my hat off because losing 60 pounds is not easy. And continuing for so long and maintaining it, it's not trivial at all. And lately you've been also helping other people. How does that work? Well, with the company that I work with, they give you the opportunity to help other people to kind of first, really, I started just to keep myself on track. I figured if I'm living this life out loud and telling everybody what I'm doing, helping other people get to their goals, it's going to keep me on the straight and narrow, right? So, you know, I can't go tell people to be healthy when I'm not. Then it just, I didn't realize how fulfilling it was to be able to watch people reach their goals and know that I was part of that. And I've really been thinking a lot about this lately, where as children's performers, we know, especially educational children's performers, but just in general, we know that we're making an impact in kids' lives. Every interaction that we have with them has the potential to be remembered forever by that one kid or by that kid's parents. And especially if we get to do something really remarkable, like bring a special needs kid, have them be really successful on stage and have all their friends see that. But this is a more immediate thing. So I see within weeks and months, I see people making amazing progress where losing weight to get to a certain weight so they can have a surgery that their doctor wants, but they said they can't have it unless they reach that goal. And that just happened. And just seeing people go from completely miserable because they don't feel well and their blood sugars are off the charts and hear what they're telling me about how much they feel better and how they're they're just so much healthier i think as entertainers especially as balloon artists and face painters and you know uh, character artists people who sit down who can sit down while they perform we tend to get out of shape and especially here in the us we have so many people working restaurants where your meal is part of your payment. And I actually had to stop having that meal and just say, all right, just give me a gift card or just don't give me the meal because I can't eat in a restaurant six, seven times a week. That really, I could see that over the years, we all gain weight and we just don't realize we are because our way of performing doesn't take the kind of physical abilities of somebody like a dancer or 
tightrope walker or whatever, you know, anybody with circus skills. So I think we get lazy and we don't realize how much our habits are really affecting our lives. We're losing so many people or nearly losing so many people. And in the last year, I know several people who have had heart attacks or things like that, where it's a lifestyle disease. And I saw myself going exactly the same way. And I just couldn't, I wasn't okay with that. I wanted to be around and make a difference. Well, you know what? You've made a difference not only with the kids that you inspired and with your own life. You've made a difference with people's life, with their health. And you also made another difference, another transformation I saw people around you was that you've been starting to teach balloon storytelling recently in an active way. And I see people, you know, go into your course and learn balloon storytelling and actually perform balloon storytelling after they go through this process that you've designed. So this is really exciting when you see the photo of a balloon twister that used to do only twisting. Maybe there was a variety of of gigs, some in restaurants and some in birthdays and whatnot, but to actually see them perform as performers with a show. And it's a balloon storytelling show. And it all uses your formula that you've designed and distilled throughout the years. And you actually use that formula still to this day. I wonder if you might be also generous as you always are and share with us a little bit about what is this formula to create a balloon storytelling show. Okay. I really am having so much fun with this because, again, seeing people just blossom in just, I know they can do it, then kind of proving to themselves they can do it. It is so exciting. And just hearing them talk about how they've taken the process that I've come up with and just uh, really running with it. And I have to give you kudos too, because in the KM Challenge, you and I, that's one of the things that we worked on is to really get a clear path for that. And it was so much fun. Again, I'm more creative as a collaborator than as coming up with my very own stuff. Even a lot of the balloon storytelling that I do is created either with the kids or just talking with other performers. But so do you want to hear like what the steps are? Yes. I think people are dying to know what the steps are so that they can understand. Is that a process that that can actually be replicated? Because we've seen it happen. We actually seen people go into the course and finish it. And then they actually had a show after they did the homework, you know, week by week. But then, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like a long six months process. It was like six weeks later, they had their own show written. And then they yep. pitched it and practiced it and had videos of them performing even to paying customers that fast. So what is this process? I'm dying to know. The first is choose your story. You have to figure out what story you want to tell. And then you decide what the action is going to be. And uh, in theater, it's called blocking, which where are people going to be on your stage? How are you going to tell the story in this way? What kind of things are you going to leave out of your story? Because it works better. Just like the book is always different than the movie. And then the third one is to come up with what props and costumes are you going to use and how elaborate are those are there going to be? 
and often I come up with several different levels of difficulty on the costumes, depending on how much time I have to prep for it. The fourth one is rehearse. You actually rehearse with real kids and it changes everything. And then you realize a lot of your pie in the sky plans are totally not going to work, but some really cool things come out of that. And sometimes the kids will give you even better ideas. So there's a lot of improv involved in that. And then you have to market after that step five. And the thing is with marketing, you have to teach everybody what you're doing because what we're doing is still relatively unknown. There's a lot of people doing it, which it still surprises me that people really don't know. But I guess people in my market all know because uh, I've been doing this for so long in my market. But there's a lot of education to be done when you market it. And then step six is you have a show, you perform the show, then it's a refining process throughout the whole thing. So you keep going between step two, blocking the action, and then props and then rehearse and redeveloping your marketing material the whole time you're doing the shows. And I've done this for like 18 years now. And the stuff I was doing when I first started is way different than what I'm doing now. And then the bonus thing, uh, I called it rule your kingdom because we were just getting crazy with that, with the quest idea, is things that you can do to really make yourselves the favorite performer of the people who book you. Special things to give away, special photo ops, special things like writing a book if you want to, and just things to make you stand out over anyone else. And you really develop your own style. And there's people who I've uh, taught a little bit of balloon storytelling to over the years that have really developed their own completely distinct style from mine. And I love to see that because I'm not the only one out there. And just to watch somebody else come up with something is really cool. So those are the, uh, the steps. There's a lot more involved. What I love about the course you've created, which is available in Balloon Artist College, is basically you've detailed everything in such a way that it's easy to consume the, the videos. They're all very short and clear. And you detail it in, in such a, a deep level that it just makes sense. And another thing I wanted to compliment you about was the fact that even if you're not into balloons, your course is very valuable because it also teaches you, you know, how to plan a, a storytelling show and how to improve your performance, your entertainment value. And even if you're doing magic or if you're doing a show that is not with balloons at all, that is actually very, very valuable to hear the advice of someone that performed for over 18 years with these type of shows and uh, hear the actual golden nuggets one by one. It's just video after video. It just proves to be a valuable resource. So thank you. Well, thanks. And I, I still have to give kudos. This is the, uh, the Mutual Admiration Society. If I hadn't had you help me organize my thoughts, it still would have been just a fire hose of information dumped on people. And so I really love how you we made it into a step-by-step process because uh, I actually changed the order and that I was going to teach it because it just totally made more sense that way. Thank you. And, uh, and this is really a part of our goal for courses in Balloon Artist College is that people will actually get a transformation and there's a process to build a layout for that. Just like there's a process to build a show that is entertaining. There's a mm-hmm. process to learn how to build that show as well. 
I think that there's a lot of things that we can talk about, but I want to help people in two ways. So first way, if they are actually interested in learning more about transformation in their life, of their lifestyle, of their health, and they want some help or some advice or even just some tip, how can they stay in touch with you that will make sense? Go to my Facebook page, Annie Banani, B-A-N-A-N-N-I-E. I know I chose a name that's hard to spell, but <laughs> just connect with me on there. I'm on Facebook every day and I always see my messages. So even if we're just connect with me um, and you know, friend request me if we're not friends already, then you can see I put stuff on my page a lot. I'm starting to work on a series of tips, things like how not to die during the summer from dehydration. Because we all, <laughs> like here, August and September are two hottest months. I'm probably a little bit behind on posting these, but I'll have all sorts of stuff there. And then if anybody wants to find out about the coaching, just message me. So, yeah. And I'll put a link for that on our show notes in balloonartistpodcast.com. And another thing that I will put there, if that's okay, we have this stunning infographic that not only details the steps on creating a balloon storytelling in more ways, but it also details the, some of the detours on your quest to the holy grail of, of balloon storytelling show being designed by you. There's a few detours that you've mapped and just knowing them helps you to avoid them. And that will make you make, you know, ensure that you'll get most value from walking the walk. So we've made this infographic and we've, we will put that in balloonartistpodcast.com. So if you go to today's episode with Annie Benani, you will be able to see that. Annie, thank you again so much for all that you do to help professionals from all over the world increase their lifestyle satisfaction and their health, but also increase their professionalism with balloon storytelling. And thank you so much for your friendship. Oh, thank you too. You're so inspiring, CV. And I'm so honored to be asked to be on this podcast. I've been listening to it from the very beginning and it's just been so fun to listen to everybody. And I've learned a whole bunch too. And see you guys next week on the Balloon Artist Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you later. I hope you've enjoyed this interview with Annie Paneni. If you did, uh, please be sure to check out her course with balloonartistcollege.com. And that is the Balloon Storytelling course. It's a huge course with six modules and hours of videos that will take you by the hand and help you become a performer. And if you are twisting balloons these days and you're not having a show and you're not performing, then you're missing up on an opportunity because everything you do is actually a show, but with some structure and some skills and it can help you become a performer and even go into the library market or the school market with balloon storytelling. See you next week in Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. Zivi Kivi here, and this is Season 8, Chapter 8. The tip section. And today I want to continue with this uh, tradition on this season, which is to share some stories that can help you, inspire you, and that in my humble opinion are way, way more important uh, 
in business and in life than just uh, learning some special trick and one app and one design or whatnot that will uh, be fun. It's a candy, but I want to give you some fishing rods in these tips today. And this is about being an innovator versus being an optimizer. So being an innovator and inventing something new is really sexy. It's something that we we see other people do and it's it impresses us and we ask ourselves how come we can't do it and oh we can do it and we try and uh, we fall in love with the idea of in inventing something new. Well, actually, like uh, Matt Falloon says in one of his lectures, there's a difference between being known in your industry and being known by your customers. And a lot of time when we're looking for just innovating as much as possible, we're actually trying to impress our peers. And our customers, they have specific needs. Yes, it helps your customers when you are unique. It helps your customers when you are special. It, it, it is way better to show them stuff that they never saw be before. But it's that, it's with balloon business, with balloons, it's not that hard to show your customers something that they've never seen, even if it was already something that you've seen on, the, on Facebook a hundred times. So instead of trying to innovate, let's talk about optimizing. The optimizers are people that are constantly looking for improving what they do. This is the true artist, the professional. The professional knows that the innovation will come naturally by keep optimizing everything, by improving the art form and the skills of everything. I want to give you an example. Now that we have some perspective, because um, I've been doing this podcast for three years, and in the last over two years, uh, Balloon Artist College is something that is alive like uh, we have students and we have people many of you uh, that are listening right now are also students of the balloon artist college so uh the creating that re free resource for everyone investing so much time in uh, helping people for free really paid off as a strategy uh, for us it's called content marketing well that's not the topic of today the topic is within balloon artist college we have already done eight challenges by the time I'm recording this. So those eight challenges are basically, each one of them are 21 day long and they are a part of the Balloon Artist College Club. So it's a part of our subscription. When you join us, you get access to the past challenges and the current challenges and the upcoming challenges. Well, let me go over the list of the actual challenges so that you see what I mean about optimizing. So the first one was social expressions, deliverables. And that is like an income vector that many people can take as an extra to improve their skills and to get get people to know them because you can take your balloons to for a walk like Narelle Fouché did and got her business to blossom as a result. The second challenge was about walls. Walls is a very interesting decorative option. So once you know how to make walls, you start to work with linking balloons and you start to look into the balloon decor options uh, in every event that you do. 
The third challenge was entertainment with Danny Schlesinger, the balloon artist's director and magician's director, and uh, the balloon, the entertainment with balloons challenge, the third one, was all about just getting more, adding more shtick to your performance, to your balloon twisting, to your shows as well. The fourth one, a weaving challenge with Asi Cohen. Asi is a master at weaving and he showed us that actually weave, weaving balloons can be different. It can be something that is not just flat weave or just X weave or just I don't know what weave. There's all sorts of different creative things to do with balloons in weaving them and that was the focus of challenge four. Challenge five, a business challenge created by me. 21 days straight of daily tasks that will improve your business. Challenge number six, the artwork challenge by Sonia Bocco and Lindsay Foster, Pookie. This challenge helps people to draw on balloons in all sorts of wonderful ways. Challenge number seven was a costume challenge with designs by Narelle Fouché. This, this one actually helps you become a better linking balloon artist. And this is important because once you know how to work with linking balloons, you can create some, some huge results, some huge, huge sculptures. And lastly, we had in 2019 the pricing challenge by Raquel Porter. This is a pricing challenge for balloon decor and a very important skill in the business side of balloons. So as you can see, all of these skills, nothing there is like totally new that you need to invent something that never uh, occurred in the balloon industry. There are all ways for you to optimize things that you're already doing. And speaking of that, if you like to optimize uh, what you do, one of the best tools to do that, except for, you know, just improving your skills, is creativity. And so if you want to see a lecture by a lesson by Scott Tripp, the master of creativity, um, and this is a lesson taken out of his creativity master blaster, then go over to balloonartistpodcast.com where there's a free lesson waiting for you from the creativity master blaster by Scott Tripp. All you need to do is go to balloonartistpodcast.com and sign up for the free lesson on today's episode, which is Season 8, Episode 8. Enjoy the free lesson. Happy holidays again. This is uh, airing uh, just in the middle of the holidays of December 2019. And see you next week, which will be next year as well, in Balloon Artist Podcast. <laughs>